Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Johara Tundok and Cavan. Discover the all-new Renault Arcana at Blackstone Motors that comes with a five-year warranty. Call us now to arrange a test drive or visit blackstonemotors.ie for more details. Welcome to Thursday afternoon's late lunch on LMFM Radio. Boomtown Rat story continues. Pavarotti in Dundalk. Yes, he sang there, I can tell you. Draw the motor show, mushrooms and more besides coming up over the next couple of hours. Well, there's something for everybody in the audience there, isn't there? There is indeed. And if the audience want to join in, the numbers are 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show, 1850-715-958 if you'd like to call in. But we begin today with an award-winning investigative journalist who writes for the Sunday World. She's lifted the lid on the rise of Irish crime gangs in a global context and how they've moved to the very heart of professional boxing. The book is called Clash of the Clans. It's fascinating and she's brilliant and she's talking to me for the next while. Nicola Talent, hello again. Hi Jerry. Thanks. For, no, I'm great. Thanks for taking our call today. Look, can I begin by throwing the ball in or hitting the gong at the side of the ring to say this to you? Look, there's nothing new, Nicola, in organised crime being involved. You know yourself with pro boxing uh, around the world, but the Irish involvement is new or relatively new in, in terms of world context. Yeah, I think probably you know we have to say the scale of it as well um, is new because. You're talking multi, multi millions. I mean, um, money, this famous Tyson Fury fight, which is off and on and off and on again, but off again at the moment, should I say, um, is like this, this purses of 250 million in it. I mean, this is mega books. I mean, in the book, actually, I reference back to a 1980s address to the U.S. Senate by um, Sammy the Bull Gravano, who was a member of the one of the uh, New York Mafia families. And he had turncoated on them to give evidence to save his own skin. But he was brought in to describe what the mob were trying to do within boxing and why they were trying to get involved. And he gave a detailed description of how they hoped to launder their funds through <clears throat> boxing gyms and, you know, through through having big, big fights put on, but also they saw it as a way of extending their influence because even sites actually that they'd hoped to meet Donald Trump, uh, then a hotelier. And, you know, it was a way for them to gain influence and power. So, yeah, it's not new, but I think the scale of it and the kind of money that's in it now is certainly something that's new. Yes, and that Irish people are central players in it. That was leading me, and you've touched it there to my next question. The question is why, and what I'd written down, you mentioned the word there, influence was one of them, but legitimacy, respect, the money laundering aspect of things, getting beyond what they're actually at or above it. You know what I'm getting at? Is, is it all those things combined? For sure. It certainly seems to be like, um, it's obviously Daniel Kinnahan we're talking about now. Mm. He's been named in the High Court here in Ireland as the head of the Kinahan Organised Crime Gang. He set up a boxing gym in Marbella, which became MGM, and that was bought from him. We were told, uh, bought completely outright, and he had nothing more to do with it Mm. uh, by a, a businesswoman. But he's kind of stepped in and out of the ring himself in the preceding years, since 2016, since all the trouble started for him in Dublin. And uh, most recently, he was called out by Tyson Fury on a a sort of a selfie video thing that went viral across the world. 
Um, and he was named as the power broker of, uh, you know, the biggest fight in boxing history. So, you know, he, there was a big Ferrari after that and he kind of stepped back a bit again and, and retreated into the shadows. But nonetheless, for him, I think it is his favourite sport, firstly. Um, secondly, he obviously does fine things within it. If you listen to the boxers, they all sing him from the rooftops about what an amazing manager and advisor he is. They all thank him. And thirdly, there is that legitimacy. He has tried to sports wash his image. And in recent years, he's tried to do that a few times and step out from those shadows into the legitimate world. But he has sort of retreated back every time, unfortunately for him. Mm. It has to be said, and you say it uh, towards the end of the book, that Kinnahan has no criminal convictions. You mentioned he has been named here in the courts, of course. Do boxers, uh, you know, you know, who join up with him or come under his wing or whatever, do they not realise what they could be getting involved with? Or (laughs) the boxing authorities themselves, you know, why aren't they shouting from the rooftops? Well, I think it's probably more the, you know, the ruling systems in place in boxing that we should really be asking those questions of because the boxers, in fairness to them, are trying to earn a wage and a living. And um, they, as far as I know, if they put on a fight, they have to sell the tickets. That's how they get paid. Um, so they kind of, even though they become professional sports people, they have to sell themselves. They have to make sure that those tickets are flogged and, um you know, that they build up their purse that way. Whereas the likes of, say, you know, a big business that would come in and say to them, okay, you can just concentrate on boxing. You can train. We're going to give you the best coaches. We're going to give you the best equipment. We're going to look after everything for you, all the business elements, and you're going to make a fortune with us. You know, you cannot criticize somebody for taking that opportunity. Mm. Um, Quite simply, you can't. I mean, they have to feed their families and, and they want to do this for a living. So that's where I see the boxers at. Now, the the management, and I think when you go up the, the line there to see what's happening with the big corporate entities who are showing these pay-per-view and who are, you know, publicising, you know, uh, knowingly that there is influence of organised crime. I think that's really where pressure can come down mm. on. Mm. And talking about that pressure, the panorama expose, the Ferrari following that, you would have thought then that perhaps time was up for Kinahan at that stage. But as you said a moment ago, not on your life. Is he still, look, Is it what's below him, as I said, you know, the foot soldiers who are involved in this crime spree in Ireland and across Europe as well. Those links are there. Those links remain to him and, you know, in turn then into the boxing world. Yeah, I see sort of there's two trajectories to him, to be honest with you. And it's knitting those two together is what I try to do in in the book. Uh, There's the kind of the the criminal, um, the rise of that Irish mafia, as they became known on, on the Costa del Sol and later into Dubai, where their headquarters are now. And then there was the sporting side of Kinahan and what he did there um, with the boxing. And so those two things do merge, Mm. but you kind of have to very carefully tread in to show how they merge, because obviously the boxers aren't guilty of crime. Mm. The criminals he hang around with, many of them are already before the courts. There's, um, from a crime point of view in Ireland, there's at least 60 members of the Kinahan organisation behind bars now serving lengthy sentences, you know, many for murder. There's at least three murder cells have been um, successfully prosecuted and uh, the the actual organisation has been successfully stamped out here mm. by the policing. The same has happened in the UK um, and on an international stage, that criminal investigation is into its final phase, which is the final takedown. And um, that's where you come to the top of the tree and that's where Kinahan sits. So that is still ongoing. And I suspect that, you know, he hasn't got that much longer. Um, his criminal, his partners in business, should I say, from the criminal world are also in bother. Um, in the Netherlands in particular, uh, they have been rounded up and brought before the courts. So there's an inevitability in a way to the end of 
any of these crime gangs. Um, but the boxing continues and, uh, you know, his links to boxing are very much there. All the boxers, all the people working with him in boxing say he has no criminal convictions. But I can tell you for a fact that a lot of people are very tied in with Kinahan and boxing and they would like the untangling of that to be taken out of their hands. They were all, they're all very much, or a lot of them certainly are very much hoping for his demise or his end to happen soon and for him to be arrested. You wrote uh, about the time you flew to Spain with a photographer uh, when Gary Hutch was murdered and you were on a flight out there uh, and he was on the flight, Daniel Kinahan, in first class. You, like the rest of us, <laughs> just had to do with the ordinary uh, seat on the flight. But you looked him in the eye. He looked you in the eye. He was well aware who you were. What goes through your mind or what do you think when you come face to face with a guy like this? That you're, you know, pursuing, writing about, investigating. Yeah. I've met him a few times, like, I mean, not as in social settings, obviously, but um, that was particularly a curious sort of little incident that uh, I thought was a good opening to the book because you have to start somewhere and sometimes you don't start at the beginning when it comes to, you know, writing a book. You'll mm. you'll start at a dramatic moment. And for me, that's what that was. It was, I was flying out to investigate the murder of Gary Hutch. I was going out to Spain to find out what had happened. This was a very significant murder. This was a schism, a break right down the middle of the very powerful Kinahan Mafia at that stage. And clearly Daniel Kinahan, who was later named in court, although it wasn't acceptable evidence that he had directed that murder. His friend James Quinn was convicted of the murder of Gary Hutch in, um, in, in a Spanish courtroom in 2017 after he was arrested in September of 2016. But... Um, he was obviously on that flight and returning from Ireland for very different reasons than I was um, flying out, you know, and I was kind of going out to the seat of his power, to his place. His headquarters were in Spain at the time. So it was a very strange moment. And, you know, there is drug money for you, isn't it? The rest of us are in economy there in first mm. class. He had a Louis Vuitton um, leather bag that I will have on my bucket list probably until the day I die. Um, the watch on his arm, I'd say, was would have paid my salary. You know, it's just that's that's drug money for you. And it was, it was just an interesting moment. You know, I I also wondered as we were flying how he was feeling because you know, despite I'm not naive, I know what criminals are like. I know what they do, but he's also a human being. And his one time best friend was after being killed and cut down really in the prime of his life, shot dead at a swimming pool. Uh, I wondered how he was feeling about that. So I just sort of peeked into first class and he was clearly feeling pretty good about things. He was kicking back and laughing and on his phone and um, just enjoying the, you know, the the relaxation that first class gives you on a flight. So, um, yeah, it was it was just a, a, an interesting little thing that happened in amongst many things that have happened over yeah. the past 15 years. Yeah. And, and, and like for you, obviously, I think of Veronica Gear and, and, and what happened to her in the course, course of her work. You obviously have to take your personal security very seriously. Are you always looking over your shoulder? Look, unfortunately, I suppose for Veronica, you know, what happened to her going forward from that moment, every crime journalist works in a particular way and is is aware of the possibilities. So you just, you know, we, we have, I suppose we have probably changed dramatically how we do the job since Veronica was on the beat. Um, and just like anybody, I mean, it's no different really to, to anybody who's working with criminals or, you know, sort of alongside them or whatever. I don't mean working with them as in, doing criminal business, but mm. it's similar to guards or prison officers. Sometimes even hospital staff can uh, come in the focus of them. Council workers, there's loads of people in loads of different employments that have to just, you know, be aware that they're dealing with people of lower moral standards. Mm. But you just get on with it and things are fine usually. You Just before we finish, this always intrigues me and, and maybe you can answer it. You say at the very end of your book, and this is a chilling line, it says there are just two outcomes for these people, a bullet or a jail cell. 
and neither are ever too far away. But yet, mm. it never ever, does that never dawn? Does that c- scenario never cross their minds? I think they just, when they start out and when they are in that world, they're living for each moment. And uh, they just, I'm sure the scenario does cross their minds, but look, doesn't everyone think they can beat things, you know? And, uh, you know, you have in the past, when we look at these sort of very major cartel type leaders who would be very narcissistic in their personality disorders, they just believe that they are untouchable and they come into this belief that they are that way. And yet, if you look back in history, there is an inevitability to exactly how they will end. Mm. And there's very few of them. I have to say, Jerry, though, I was doing a couple of podcasts this week. Do you know the way buses come at the same time? Uh, two similar stories. And I have to sort of eat my words on that because two very major criminals who are currently, one of them died from a, a very peculiar, tragic accident. And another one who's uh, suffering from from your your end of the, the woods, actually, is who's suffering from a... Uh, terminal illness yeah. so there are other ways they end yes really, yes i was very black and white there but yeah yep. i hear what you're saying and yes we are all human we are all so vulnerable in this existence but by god these people put themselves in the firing line day in day out you've done a great job with this one again clash of the clans is the name of the book it's a wonderful read it'll give you an insight into this whole thing and uh, i thank you nicola again for your time and joining me on the show really appreciate it thanks jerry Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Nicola Talent there, a crime writer. And you can read her in the Sunday World each Sunday. But that book is really, really thought-provoking, well-researched and put together. Highly recommended by this kitty. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Stay with us. I was out with the Wednesday Club last night and United were on the telly, 2-0 down into the second half. And I said to the boys, if United get one, they'll get three. <laughs> and they won 3-2. Why don't I put a few bob on these things? I'm always wise in hindsight. Oh, United were lucky they were. Solskjaer isn't the man I tell you United fans he's not the man for you you need a manager just like the Gunners do too while on the soccer theme don't forget the Premier League this weekend yes you can listen here on LMFM online lmfm.ie or on the LMFM app and we have Chelsea Norwich Norwich first at half 12 on Saturday at 3 o'clock Crystal Palace take on Newcastle while Brighton face Man City in the evening game at half 5 Premier League live with now your sport on your term stream only the games that matter most to you yes it is there for you folks I was mentioning or I did mention earlier in the week as well out the weekend for a ramble with Messi lovely field mushrooms nearly the end of October and mushrooms in the fields and I picked a few they're gorgeous anyway on my mind Bill O'D he's Ireland's number one mushroom man he's a real fun guy he's on a mushroom hunt today and he's joining us live from it after two o'clock on the show but taking us towards news and uh, weather at two o'clock it's Van the Man and days like these when you get mushrooms in the fields in October yummy 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 When it's not always raining, there'll be days like this. Tell them what you're after doing in me. You're after putting the heart <laughs> crossways in me. You know, Bill is standing by Bill O'D. Yeah, as I said, right. I'm getting slagged. Look at, look at that. 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 Jerry, you're getting worse with your jokes. Fun guy and mushroom mm-hmm. man. Tell them about the car joke and the mushrooms. <laughs> I just said there was a car that was going to be called a mushroom. But then they discovered that there wasn't much room in the boot. <laughs> and you, you think you think it's me, it's just me. And then <laughs> I just doing it in response to your corny ones. <laughs> and tell them what you did then. She's after putting the hard crosses in me. I rang Bill O'D, who's about to talk to you about mushrooms, and I went into you and I said, He's not expecting a call till tomorrow, Jerry. And you said in a panic well, I was talking to him this morning and he said he don't and I says yeah I think he, he thought you were trying to keep him in the dark <laughs> and my heart gave a flutter you know me when things like this happen it sort of puts me out it'll kill her a little bit anyway he's waiting by he is Ireland's foremost mycologist Bill O'D hello again Hi, hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm, I'm great sense of humour. That's a new joke for me to use. <laughs> you can use it. And listen, are you, are you, you are out on a hunt today, a mushroom hunt. Yeah, I'm out with a group from the Technical University of Dublin, uh, culinary, uh, culinary arts. I, I think most of them, and uh, 
we're just uh, right now actually we're cooking up a load of mushrooms that we picked and uh, they're all uh, they're all here eating them and, and enjoying themselves oh lovely in, the, in our secret location in the woods oh yeah I was going to ask you and I might not ask you now because you're not going to reveal where you are but here tell us what? oh no I'd tell you Jerry. Like, I mean <laughs> between you and me I'd tell you I have no problem <laughs> Bill I'll keep you to that tell, tell our listeners though what have you been picking what have you found what is there an abundance of in the woods today uh, well, we've got some some porcini, which are the seps. Mm. Uh, we have some chanterelles. We have um, both both uh, both types: the winter chanterelle and the and the regular chanterelle, or the girole, as the as the chefs call them. Mm. And we got uh, hedgehogs, and we've got puffballs, and uh, and we've got some rustulas, and. Uh, we got some wood mushrooms, which are, are similar to the kind of horse mushroom. They've got nice anise flavour off them. Mm. The puffballs, um, Bill. Tell me about yeah. the puffballs. Because I've been mowing them in my front lawn for the last month or so, but maybe they're not the puffballs that you're talking about. No, they should be... Uh, are they right inside the ones on your lawn? Yeah, but when you cross them with the mower, there's a... Poof, and there's this grey uh, matter goes everywhere. Yeah, so they're gone They're gone a bit far. Obviously, they're not edible. They're sporulating at that stage. So they're, they're releasing billions of spores to spread the organism, you know. So most of that organism is under the ground. You probably have fairy rings there in the grass. I, I have, Bill. A number of them. Which is a good sign, you know. It means that your your soil is healthy, and you've got, you know, there's 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 hundreds of different types of fungi in that soil with their their all the little threads and mycelium roots under the ground, uh, working with the plants and the the shrubs and the trees that you have there, and that's all positive to to those. Isn't that funny, Bill? Because last year I did a huge job on the front garden because it was just a bed of moss. And I I got this um, uh, machine that pulls all the moss out. I hired it for a couple of days, right? Scarifier, Bill. And I absolutely milled it. I got 90 bags of moss out of the lawn and everybody walking by said, and including my wife said, what have you done to the garden? And I said, don't worry, don't worry. Watch what happens, Bill. Come back. I have the loveliest thatch on it now and I looked after oh. it. And the rings are there and the mushrooms are, there's more than ever this year there. Wow. Well, that's good. Yeah, they're doing their, they're doing their bit and they're probably, there's probably dead moss and grass that's left after that exercise and mm. they're breaking that down as well. They're saprotrophic, so they're, they're decaying. Right. Uh, all of that. The dead grass. That's that's what's going on normally, and, and mm. that brings nutrients back into the soil, which is yeah the proper. That's the cycle. So, Bill, you're flying porcini, chanterelles, hedgehogs, puffballs, and more. Besides, how long will these crops uh, be out there uh, around Ireland in the woodlands? How many more weeks will this go on for? Oh, it's really about the frost. I mean, today's the first day. There's a bit of a chill in the air. I don't know if you've noticed. Mm. I think we got the winds from the north today, but. Um, you know, until we start to get heavy frost, it's probably... I mean, we're certainly seeing some of the the late-season mushrooms, um, you know, like the saffron millcap and bluets and that are only just starting to emerge. Mm. And the cloud of the garrick and that, you see them. They're, they're only So, you know, I would say that we, we have a good bit to go yet in the season. But, I mean, if we get hit by very heavy frosts, we'll be... You know, that that will trigger things. That's it. Trigger the end, you know. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, uh, and I was telling you earlier when we spoke, before Louise put the hard crosses in me, uh, this year for field mushrooms, which, you know, I'm never nervous about, like, they're just easy to identify, we had a great crop. After the real dry summer, when we got some moisture, not a whole lot, into August and that, the fields were white with the field mushrooms. And Bill... I enjoyed them then, but I was out last Sunday, which, you know, was mid-October towards late October, and yeah. I came across another flush of field mushrooms. Is, is that a bit unusual, a bit late for them? Yeah, well, I, you know, our seasons are all over the place now, so it was, it was quite warm, wasn't it, last, mm. last week? We had mm. a few good warm days and plenty of moisture, and I think, you know, September's often very dry, so you'll see less activity with mushrooms. You know, you'll see, you'll see August is wet, and you'll often see a flushing of mushrooms in August, mm. and they're kind of early. And then September they die back a bit because it's too dry. And then usually October, um, in my experience, is the main season for most of them. Right. And uh, and that. So I, yeah, I think there's a there's a bit to run, you know. Mm. And you have a number. I see you today is one hunt you're on, but you have a number of organised events coming up yourself. 
Yeah, oh yeah, we've, we're doing them all over the place. So, like, we have a very uh, small window, really, of for mushroom hunting. So, we we really do most of ours in October and kind of early November, mm. and and that's it. So, we try to squeeze in as much as we can in that time. So, we do, you know, we do a few every week. And Bill, in uh, different parts of the country. Yeah, you have. Uh, where do people find out? Just tell them while you're on now more information because I'm sure there's people listening yeah. today would love to mushroom. go. Yeah, in fact, we we have we've added a new mushroom because most of them were sold out months ago. But we've added a new one uh, for next week. I think is uh, you'll see it on mushroomstuff.com. dot com. Yes, okay. So mushroomstuff.com dot com or mushroom dot ie, and we're, we're mushroom stuff on Facebook and we're mushroom stuff on Twitter. Yes, and we're mushroom stuff on Instagram. Lovely. So mushroom stuff. Great stuff. That's uh, why you, great stuff. That no pun intended there. I'm getting into the Louise <laughs> Walsh uh, uh, jokes uh, sphere here when when I say that back to you. But look, on a serious note, so Ed, they've done the picking today, and you're cooking up now. What what what, what way? You know your favourite way to prepare, let's say the chanterelles or porcinis. What way do you like to cook them? Well, you know, we like we for tasting them. So some people, it's their first time tasting, you know, some of those wild mushrooms. So we we don't do an awful lot with them. Um, we try to keep them simple. But I mean, when you add things like cream and butter and all that, you you enhance them a lot, mm. and you get great flavors. Or, you know, if with the porcini, if you if you dry it and. It again brings up a next, another level of flavour when you uh, reconstitute them and put them in stews. They give a very deep kind of earthy flavour yeah. and that. But um, most of the time, like we, we, we do have cream. Now these guys have got the, you know, these are chefs, so they've taken out the kitchen. Right. The kitchen. They've got lardons and everything going oh, on. Oh lard! Oh lardon. We, we got vegetarian, so we kind of, you know, we we, we have a couple of pans going. <laughs> Do you want to say? Do you want to say hello? I get to say hello. Let them. Yes, please. Let's hear them. Oh, hello. Uh, do you know it's Dermot Seabury? You know Dermot Seabury. You probably know him from very the well. Uh, chef, great chef. Very well. He, he's one of the. He's one of the teachers. He's the leader here. But I, I'll ask him to say hello. Hello, hello, man. Guys, want to say hello to Jerry and Hello. <laughs> oh my God! I'll tell you one thing. You have. <laughs> you. <laughs> Hey Bill, I'll tell you this. You have a yeah. hell of a crew there just from the, the, the hello there in the background. You you have a big class of pupils today uh, to keep on the control. Tell Dermot I said hello to him. He's a really good guy, Dermot Seabury. He really he is. He's a very great, he's a great yeah. guy, absolutely. He yeah. is, he is indeed. Great now, guy. now w- 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 a couple of things before we finish up. In general terms, you know, we hear about global warming, climate change. In all the years you've been involved in this, our mushrooms... Uh, being impacted, the Irish, the wild Irish mushrooms that you go foraging for. Do you see any change there? Uh, it's a good question. Um, I, I haven't really. I mean, it's important in that context to understand the function of fungi in the soil mm. and that they sequester carbon. And in healthy soil, like fungi need, so the, 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 the little threads and roots that are under the ground they need to fix carbon to grow. That's what they're using, carbon atoms. Mm. And so healthy soil is, is, is sequestering and storing carbon. And when you, when you kill soil, you know, if they put, and a lot of the farm fields now, unfortunately, the soil is, is, is more or less, doesn't have any fungi or worms or anything. And it's, it's um, so when you do that, uh, it, it, all the carbon is released. And there's a massive bank there that needs to be, Used to keep to keep the carbon yes keep the carbon um, fixed in the soil you know yeah, and yeah. if you think about all the soil in the world uh, you know if you see it as a as a sequestering carbon it's so uh, it's so it's it, it's important that fungi are seen to have that benefit and yes. are used as such you know and, and yeah. That's interesting, Bill, and they're a very important part of the whole ecosystem. And finally, just before you go, for those people who say to me, and I can never understand them because I love them myself, you know, people find the, the texture of a mushroom difficult on the palate. You know what I'm talking about? The people just can't take them. Uh, is there any way yeah. of, of rectifying that for people? How do you make... I, I, don't, I don't think so. Mm. I think... You know, it's one of the, it's like marmite or it's like truffles or yes. like, uh, there are people who don't like the idea of mushrooms, the texture of mushrooms, the taste of mushrooms, and um, you know I hear mothers talking about children that are like that and they they still manage to kind of chop them up fine and bit them into food, but and they are very healthy and nutritious. Yes. So you know, and, and certainly 
um, you know, some of the nutrients in mushrooms we need. I mean, they're high in vitamin D. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it is... It is important. They're an important part of our diet. Yes, I'm laughing when you say that. My daughter did that precisely and put them into a bolognese, and our better half, who hates them, gobbled it up. And she told him afterwards, "Oh, he was disgusted, disgusted, absolutely yeah. disgusted." My buddy, he got the money. Last thing to say, and this is very important to listeners today, Bill. Yeah. We've said it before. Just don't go out and pick any old mushroom and take it home and prepare it. Yeah. This is a dangerous game. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything in the wild. Also, leaves and, and berries uh, and mushrooms, some of them are extremely poisonous. Mm. So you need to know what you're doing. And certainly with mushrooms, you need to have it identified as safe to eat yes. by an expert. Um, because there are some extremely toxic ones and they, they look good, but they're they're, they're very toxic. Bill, we'll ha- we, Bill, I'm just, you've put the goo on me now. It won't happen this time <laughs> round. But next year, please, God, I'll have to talk to Miss Tara Walker again, who you yeah. know well, and yourself, and we'll have to put something in train up this neck of the woods. Boom, boom. I think we should, yeah. Yes. Let's find a good woodlands up there and we'll do, yes. a, we'll do a mushroom on We'll next do year. one next year, please, God. Bill, you're great. Yeah. Good luck to everybody there and continued success. Mushroom oh, stuff is where right. it's available. Okay. Thank you, Bill. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mushroomstuff.com. If you want to go on a hunt with that, I went one day with him. He is just superb. And he knows his stuff. He really, really does. And I'm delighted. There we had him live from a hunt today and our own Dermot Seabury with him as well. Mushrooms, do you love them or loathe them? Anyone out there not like mushrooms? Let me know. Don't bullshit me now. Don't please. Don't leave me in the dark like Louise did a little while ago or tried to. Let me know. Do you not? If if you don't like mushrooms, tell me. Let let us know if you don't like them, why you don't like them, and how much you dislike them. Or if you love them, you can get in touch with me as well. I'm a lover of mushrooms. 086 1800 658. WhatsApp or text us at the show. That's 086 1800 658. Or if you want to call in, it's 1857 well, isn't that interesting? Late lunch listeners love mushrooms. Nobody said they disliked them. I thought I'd get a flurry of people saying they don't like them or can't eat them. Francis says, Jerry, how could you not like mushrooms? I agree with you, Francis. You're 100% right. Kathleen wants to know, where would I find a mushroom or a field with mushrooms? And I said this before, Kathleen, I'd love to tell you, but I'd have to kill you if I told you, honestly. Mushroom fields are guarded with your life. Look round your area. Generally, uh, you know, fields that are not uh, till for crops that have cows perhaps grazing in them for time to time and maybe are a little unkempt. They're the type of feel you'll get the mushroom in, Kathleen. I'm only joking. Love you to bits. Hi, Jerry. Nothing like mushrooms cooked on the range with a pinch of salt, says Claire. You're my kind of woman, Claire. Ah, uh, hi, Jerry, says somebody else. Mushrooms with fried onions and liver. <gasps> oh, who are you? Do I love liver? And mushrooms and onions. What a brilliant combination. Louise Walsh, do you? Oh, here, give us your latest mushroom joke. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> I've been looking up all the Come on, give us another jokes. mushroom joke. Come on. Uh, did you hear the joke about the fung- fungus? No. Uh, you won't like it, but it will grow on you. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> Any more there? I love this. <laughs> Any more? What's the difference between a mushroom and a tree, Jerry? I don't know. Oh, one's a tree. Oh, for the love of God. I know that was terrible. And fungi grow on trees. They really, really do. Do you like mushrooms? I love mushrooms, um, yeah, with butter, salt and pepper. But I don't really like mushrooms in things. Do you not? No, like volivants or mushroom sauce mm. or anything like that. Do you that. like, uh, you know, the traditional way when I get them from the fields into a pot, perhaps a little onion, little milk in on top of them and just let them, you know... S- a saute there in the milk for about 10 minutes mm, or so and then thicken it with a little bit of corn flour and crusty bread. It, it's nice to thicken it a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. very watery. We so just it's like leave a it kind of milk. a soupy thing. Yes. All right, just I just take the mushrooms out and drain the milk <laughs> off them. No, no, no. Thicken <laughs> the milk into a lovely sauce. For the love of God, woman, I'll learn you yet. Jerry, you won't. <laughs> and pepper. Lots of white pepper on them as well. I like it that way. But look, at Louise, I die for mushrooms. Garlic mushrooms. Oh, my, I just love them. Anyway, you know what I mean? Well, like Stuffed, the big stuffed ones. Stuffed mushrooms. What are they? Mushrooms, oh, big flat caps. Flat you know caps. the big flat caps. You get them. I love them. Tesco do a stuffed mushroom as well. I don't know what's in those. Everything and, and anything in them, but they love you just to throw them in the oven. But I have a real love. I think they're a fantastic food. I really, really do. We don't really. My kids won't eat them though. 
No, I can understand. There are lot, lots of people, I, I, I'm only joking when I say everybody loves them, lots of people have a difficulty with the texture of a mushroom. I understand that. I understand it well. But look, I'll tell you, I, come back to this again, going with Bill is just an education. And I told the story before, my late father, Brennan, was a great man for the fields and he, he passed on to me that love of nature and the outdoors and everything. And Oh, they'd be watching for the mushroom flushes every year, Louise. Now, they didn't do what Bill does in the woods. It would be the field mushrooms. You know what I mean? The, those ones. Uh, but they, they'd take an odd chance. And I told this story, I think, a while ago. He had a great friend, Paddy Wilton. Paddy, lovely man. Coleman from Boho Brew and Drahada. Just one of life's gentlemen. And they palled together when they retired. And before they retired, and they were into greyhounds and everything. But he loved mushrooms too. And one evening they went out in the summer and they got these mushrooms sort of around the foot of a tree. Now, they look similar to the field mushrooms from my father was he said oh I don't know about them Paddy was mad to try them and he brought them home and my father said to him Paddy I'd advise you not to not to not to eat those mushrooms so he ate them well the alarm was raised within an hour he was in the Lourdes hospital oh he was in the Lourdes oh, hospital rushed in and they, I think they had to pump his stomach to get the the fun guys out before <laughs> Before, before, before. Yeah, that's just, guy there. that's just a little cautionary tale for anybody who thinks they go out and pick anything and <laughs> start to turn it into a culinary delight. You need to know. And even if you have, you know, these guides, Louise, the books, you see the pictures. It's very hard to tell at times, you know, is it or isn't it? Is it that one? You or to have an is expert. It? Yeah, if you can go along with Bill, my God, I'll tell you, he's fantastic. Mushroomstuff.com is where you'll find out more information. But by uh, there you go. That's our our take on mushrooms on the, on the show this afternoon I laugh when I think of the times we had and, and, and the fun you'd have out in the fields and, and I'm bringing, bringing Ava of course I mentioned this this year with me to pick oh sure she thought this was just great she wouldn't eat them but finding them in the little tufts of grass you know what I mean looking, the little buttony ones and different size of mushrooms oh god almighty we had a few lovely days in August this year picking the mushrooms to remember to remember for sure anyway you do know that this month is Irish Music Month here on LMFM Radio we were inundated with artists from all genres sending us in demos and wanting to be part of this. We had to pick five to go forward to the national final. And our five are Amy Chute, In Between Honey, Kelly McArdle, Lunar Effect. And today we're going to hear from Andy Dempsey. He's an independent artist from Dublin, but he has big connections with the RD area. He has relatives living there and he's been playing around these parts with bands for a good few years. And the first COVID lockdown was a catalyst for Andy to get him going and focused on his solo music career. And here he is playing the song that's taking him through to the final five on LMFM Radio in Music Month, October 2021. It's Andy Dempsey with Finish Line. You don't know where you're going to And now your past has started chasing you It's time to say goodbye to everything you thought you knew Andy Dempsey and Finish Line, one of our final five in Irish Music Month here on LMFM Radio. I think that's terrific. I really do. I love it. Finish Line by Andy. Well done to you. What talent we have in this little nation of ours. Claire's been on to say, Jerry, my favourite food are mushrooms. Once they're fresh out of the field, milk, butter, salt and pepper, they're simply super. And picking mushrooms is a family favourite. I absolutely love it. It is. It's a great tradition. It is. And one that I uh, hope continues for generations and generations to come. Now, just reminding you, LMFM Radio Bingo. Big prizes. Big jackpots. Well done to recent winners. Pauline Rogers from the Point Road in Dundalk. Caroline McDermott's in Brownstown, Navin. They picked up €400 Euro each. And Noreen Miles from RD scooped 800 The jackpot's €7,200. And don't forget, you can buy your book for next week's game online or from outlets across the northeast. More information on the bingo lmfm.ie oh, That jackpot's going to be one isn't it? Just like the National Lottery jackpot I think we all have a pain in our bum at this stage. <laughs> we just like it to be won and won by loads of people as well. Anyway don't forget to do your numbers for tomorrow night again. 1, 4, 7, 9, 16, 32 Don't do them. They're my numbers. Actually I checked my docket for Wednesday and I had two the first two numbers on one line and the last two numbers and then the line. If I had them combined, I'd have got a few pounds out of it, which are money talking nonsense. Two numbers ain't 
reward anything in this game as Bruce Fawcett used to say uh, maybe if he didn't have a flutter on them they would be worth something but there you go good luck to all with the lottery draw tomorrow night and perhaps it will find its way to somewhere and bring joy and happiness to many you're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio Drogheda Lawrence Street in Drogheda and the surrounding area is the place to be this Saturday because it's back on the streets of the town the Drogheda Motor Show and we're going to talk about it next Jerry, one of the nicest things I ever tasted with flat field mushrooms was a mushroom ketchup my mam made back in the late 70s. I think you might get it online today, says Joan, and I've looked it up and it is there. You can buy mushroom ketchup. There you are. And your mammy made it as well. Oh, you couldn't beat your mammy's mushroom ketchup, that's for sure. But you can buy it online. It's there if you check it out. Now, it's back. What am I talking about? It's the Drogheda Motor Show. And it's back on the streets of Drogheda. And it's so welcome. It really is. Lawrence Street in the town will be pedestrianised for the day on Saturday. And there's lots going on around the show as well. I was involved last year when it went online for the uh, year. But it's great to see it back out and about on the streets. And I'm joined on the show today by... The man who I will tell you is really the driving force behind this. He's a fantastic guy. Robert Murray is with me. And the other Robert is Robert Dorn from Jack Dorn Motors. Afternoon to the Roberts. Good morning, Good afternoon, Jerry. Great to have you both with us on the show. If I could start with Robert Murray. Well, I'm sure a big sigh of relief that you were able to get the vehicles back out in person on the streets and that people can touchy-feely and meet the dealers, Robert. Absolutely, Jerry. Absolutely. I'm actually just. I'm trying to just get that mushroom ketchup out of my head first. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's fantastic. We're delighted to be back. Um, so I suppose, and thanks for your um, for your support last year. It was fantastic. That that um, virtual event was obviously a bridging event. But this year to be back on the main street in um, well into a Lawrence Street in town is going to be fantastic again and pedestrianised as you said. Yeah, pedestrianised, and like uh, you have nine of uh, the dealers there with you, with all their different brands. There's fifteen brands, nine dealers there, and they're bringing their best uh, out onto the streets here at this time. Now, I was talking to Tony Conlon the other day in his motoring feature, and he went through each of them and picked here and there and recommended or, or whatever. But this again, saying to you, Robert, if you're in the market for a car Saturday in Lawrence Street in Drogheda, you'll do business yeah i think that's the, like the, the trick here is that it's, it's 60 shiny cars and commercial vehicles as well on the street um for from 10 o'clock until five o'clock on saturday there's loads of technologies to explore so it's not just mm. going to be i know electric is a bit of a buzzword at the moment but i think the main piece to um, i suppose to let your listeners know is that we've got a team this year which is very special and it's the evolution of the car in drogheda so it's evolution of motoring in Drogheda, really. And we've got um, the past covered, the present and the future. So the past is um, we've, we've commissioned a, a beautiful um, painting that we haven't really told anyone about. So I'm going to go a little bit exclusive now with you, Jerry, if you don't mind on this. Good man. Um, so we've, we've, we've reached out to um, a local artist, Rodney, Rodney Thornton. And we've, uh, we've done a bit of research with who we all know, Brendan Matthews, the local historian. And we found out that the very first owned car in Drogheda was an 1899 Panard, the Clement Panard. And it was, bought, it was owned by, uh, for the first time by a Dr. Parr in Lawrence Street, believe it or not, in 1902. So what, we're doing, what we've done is we've identified that vehicle. That car is actually still in existence. It's in a basement of a house in uh, Sweden at the moment, believe it or not. It was sold, wow. Yeah, it was sold in an auction in Christie's in London, I believe, in 2005. Um, I think for about €60,000. But um, it's a fascinating car. And if, if anyone is looking at our graphics, go on to brandnewdrive.ie and you'll see an image of this car, a cartoonized version of it. But what, what Rodney is going to deliver is actually a, an oil painting of this in a large painting. It's a beautiful six by four foot painting that he's going to unveil on the street um, that day as well. I think around 12 o'clock we're going to program that for. Lovely. So that is really stretching back in time. Real historical. What a story uh, that is. And uh, look, I just read, uh, besides this, you're going to have lots going on for children. Uh, there's a, a market going on there as well. It'll be a, an all-inclusive day out, family day. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we obviously it's pedestrianised. We've got the 60 shiny cars, which is obviously, they're the stars of the show. Nine dealers, 15 mar- um, motoring brands. Featured, um, we've got the absurdist pipe band. We, we all know Kieran Gallagher is behind that. 
he's going to be marching through the streets and marching through the shops and he'll be creating a bit of buzz on the street that day as well. The dealers are going to obviously be unveiling a lot of new cars as well. So there's, going to, there's a lot of fun and like, you know, Robert I know is going to talk about and he might mention one of the cars that he's going to unveil in a minute or two. But we also have special talks on the day as well. So we're going to, um, we're going to be publicising that a bit more. But we've got the SEAI who is the um, Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland, they're coming down, they're partners with us on the electric mobility side. Mm. And they're going to be speaking as well for about 20 minutes at 2 o'clock. Um, Brandon Matthews as well has done a lot of research and I'm really fascinated by what he's found. So he's got some great, great stories going back in time. So again, we've got the past, the present being the, the, the cars on the day in, um, at that time. But also we're, we want to look at the future of um, from the evolution point. And we've tied in with... Um, We've, we've created a, um, a colouring competition for children in primary school going age, so between first and sixth class, and they can get their colouring sheet um, and download and design the car of the future from brandnewdrive.ie and drop it into the Highlands Gallery by 12 o'clock on Saturday to qualify for um, some prizes, great prizes. You'll see it all on the website. But um, I think the um, Captain Brand New Drive is always a big attraction as well on the day. And as you mentioned, the cottage market will happen at the same location, Emer Cullen at the, she's got some fantastic makers and producers. So it's yeah. all that kind of lovely local um, produce as well. It's all going on. Brandnewdrive.ie, check it out. Robert Dorn, afternoon. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Anyway, you will be out parading your lovely marks, Kia and Citroen. And uh, the other Robert mentioned there, you're going to unveil something special. Tell us about this. Well, we've got two new uh, Kias being launched uh, at the weekend. Um, There'll be the first viewings in Ireland of both cars. Um, The latest version of the Sportage, a hugely successful car for Kia down through the years. The latest version is going to be unveiled at the motor show we actually have it in the showroom today it's the only one in ireland there won't be another sportage in ireland until the end of november so this is an exclusive sneak preview for the people of drogheda to come down and have a look at this uh, car and also we'll have the kia ev6 which is the first uh, kia that's purpose-built uh, for electric driving so that's mm. uh, going to be the first one in ireland as well so two sneak previews there, and uh, Citroen are also going to have their first electric car uh, in Ireland, which is the EC4. So um, we're, we've plenty to show people, as well as the other dealers. Yeah, I'll tell you, uh, I was looking at that Kia EV6 uh, earlier on today. It's a beauty. And the Sportage, what do you say about it, Robert? It's been such a success for Kia. It's been huge for Kia. It's been basically the, the car that put Kia on the map in mm. Ireland. Uh, and we're now we're now twenty twenty plus years with the Sportage, and this is the latest version. And if it sells as well as the previous versions, we'll be on to a winner. So we're excited and thrilled to have it here in in the showroom and in in Drogheda for this weekend. I ain't surprised. You'll have a, a lot of people looking at the new one. They will for sure, and you have a, a loyal following there. People have just loved them uh, since they were launched. Uh, in a general sense, you know, uh, Robert. The other Robert is mentioning there. You know, the past, the present, the future. Um, where are we on the road, like from your perspective, Robert? You know, from you know the hybrid, then on in, into the full electric. Where are we along that path? We're 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 probably behind the government's aspiration of having nine hundred thirty-six thousand electric vehicles by twenty thirty, Jerry. So um, there's a hell of a lot of work to be done. Unfortunately, the the government has scrapped the the plug-in hybrid grant yeah. on Tuesday, which has complicated complicated, and uh, made things a little bit more difficult um, because the plug-in hybrid was seen for many people as a bridge mm. uh, between being a diesel or petrol driver into electric Yes, because even though the, the electric vehicles have advanced significantly, the infrastructure in the country hasn't, hasn't kept up with it and we're, in terms of charge points and range anxiety, we still have a number of issues for, for consumers and customers to actually take the plunge into electric vehicles. Mm. Um, but it's gathering pace. People are excited and intrigued by electric vehicles. We were delighted that the SEAI have come on board for the, the motor show to provide co- uh, people in Drogheda with further information to make informed decisions because I think 
people are wary of electric vehicles because they don't have all the information that they need and we, we're delighted that the, the SAI are going to come on board yes, to yeah. provide that information. I couldn't agree with you more. I don't understand that plug-in decision at all in the whole terms of philosophy of saving the planet, going green or dealing with a global warming. It, it doesn't really add up and you're right, we've been talking here for years with yourselves as dealers across the North East and Tony Conlon and others besides about the infrastructure for electric. My God, if we're serious, we really have to get stuck into that but the migration is happening and again just in a word Robert you're there to do business this weekend all of you we're all there to do business we're excited and delighted that we're actually having a motor show this year this is going to be the first motor show in Ireland for two years it's going to be a fantastic event for the town of Drogheda as well and to get people into Drogheda that may not necessarily shop in Drogheda on a frequent basis we're, we're a big commuter area with a lot of people that are relatively new to the area and it'd be great to have people coming into the town centre mm. to see the cars but also to see what Drawhead has to offer as a town. Absolutely. Boys, I have to leave it there. Robert Murray, brand new drive.ie. It's all happening on Lawrence Street from early in the morning on Saturday to late in the evening and he'll be all welcomed with open arms. Congratulations, Robert, on pulling the show on again. As the other Robert said, the first in Ireland for two years. Well done to you. Jerry, can I just say one quick thing before yep. we wrap up there, if you don't mind? Just a quick thank you to our supporters. Um, First Citizen Finance, Strada and District Chamber, the SAMI, Loud County Council and LHK Group, as well as a very, very strong thank you to Declan Kieran and the Lawrence Street Business and Traders Group who are a group who have welcomed us into the street and that are allowing this to happen, which is fantastic. Yeah, well done to all concerned. Let's hope, fingers crossed, the day is good to your kind with the weather. Whether or no, it's happening on Lawrence Street this Saturday. To the Roberts, thank you very much and wish you well. Thank you. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Draw the Motor Show this Saturday in the heart of town. I think Liam has undone or outdid our Louise with the mushroom jokes. He says, I'll let you into a secret where to get mushrooms in RD on Bridge Street near the Ashwalk. Yeah, the two big supermarkets saves your back <laughs> and fills your belly. Shh, don't tell anybody. This message will explode after reading Mushroom Impossible. <laughs> Do you remember Mission Impossible? This message will self-destruct in 10 seconds when they get their task for the day. I love it, Liam. Very clever. Got a lovely letter from Capranica just outside Rome in Italia from our good friend Tommy O'Rourke Tommy thanks for the letter you made her day myself and Louise have read it and it's just it's heartwarming it really is and thanks for the lovely compliments you paid me in the letter just to paraphrase some of it, uh, you, you said in the letter that you met your wife, Sheila. Uh, she's from Mullingar. You're from Dundalk. And uh, you've been married since 1974. Well done to both of you. Uh, and you, you visited Capranic at one stage, a little village, 7,000 people. And you moved out there, 56 kilometres it is from Rome. And you live there now. And you're there about 20 years. And you love it. And I want to say hello today to Sheila, Emma, Ailish, Chris, and your granddaughter Eva because they sent us their regards and myself and Louise would like to send them back to you too. It's a lovely letter. We treasure it and it's lovely to get a letter that's handwritten, isn't it Louise? To see the writing on the paper like this. That somebody took time like Tommy yeah. to sit down with a pen. And You're a lovely really writer lovely, Tommy. You yeah. really are. You really are Very a lovely writer. And he said... <laughs> I don't want to go there today. <laughs> uh, and Tommy says at the end of the letter... Um, it's like writing to an old friend. Take care. Hope to listen to you for many years to come. And he hopes to be home next year. He hasn't been here since December 19 when he was home for his mother's funeral. He hasn't been back in Ireland since. Tommy, that's it. That's an arrangement that we're going to keep. To. Whenever you get here, we'll meet up for a cuppa for sure. Thank you for the lovely letter. You're writing, Louise. Yes. Well, you know, if you had a pigeon and you put ink on its feet. I doing awards for my handwriting. <laughs> I don't know who gave okay. you the awards, but I think they had... Diff- Did they see your handwriting? They Did wrote you? in Braille. <laughs> Something like that. If you put ink on a pigeon's feet and he ran across the desk, would that be fair? I think that's very unfair to the pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, shall we all have our own ways of doing the scribble? You understand it, and that's the main thing, Louise. Never mind what I say don't or anybody you know. else does. <laughs> I sort of suspected that myself. Anyway, after three on late lunch, it's the Boomtown Rats in Focus and Pavarotti. He sang in the dock. He did, he did. Stay with us. 
You do know my artists of the week all this month are Irish artists and this week it's the Boomtown Rats. And following their split, which I mentioned yesterday, they broke up in 1986 with that self-aid concert here in Ireland. I remember it well. The concert was to raise awareness of the desperate unemployment situation and to help people who were unemployed. When you think about that, having a fundraiser for that at the time, it was terrible times. I remember it well. Geldof went off and pursued his own solo career. Simon Crow and Johnny Fingers formed a band called Gung Ho. Uh, Gary Roberts went songwriting, selling financial products. He was a great salesman. He really was. He did really well. And he gave guitar workshops to school children. The others in the band came and went in different guises musically over the years, mixing and matching with others until the Boomtown Rats reformed in 2013. That was 27 years after they last performed together. Now, however, a four-piece, they were originally a six, comprising Geldof, Roberts, Crow and Pete Briquet, they released a new compilation album and went off touring the UK and Ireland. They eventually returned to studio and released a new album called Citizens of Boomtown last year. I go back today, however, to their best-remembered stuff and a song that perhaps resonates most with band member Simon Crow, who ran a clock-making business. You just gotta let the bell ring at the end, don't you? You do indeed. Brings me back all oh, those days when they were regulars on top of the pops and they ruled the world for a time, didn't they, in that whole era? Yes, the Boomtown Rats and Clockwork on your late lunch this afternoon. Fantastic indeed. And I'll round off the story of the rats uh, in Music and Worlds around about this time tomorrow afternoon on the show. Now, we uh, switch again, and we did it earlier in the week. We switch again from uh, that era of, of the rats uh, to finish the show today after the break to turning to a story that amazed me, to be honest with you, because I'd never heard this before. Luciano Pavarotti, probably one of the greatest of all time. Well, he sang in Dundalk many moons ago, and our Sarah McCann, we can say our Sarah McCann because she's a documentary maker par excellence, which was shortlisted for an Imro Award this year, is back with a new documentary about Pavarotti and when he sang in Dundalk, and we're going to hear about it next. Did you know that one of the world's most famous tenors, one of the greatest ever, Luciano Pavarotti, took to the stage of the Town Hall in Dundalk for his first ever solo performance, not in an opera outside of Italy? I didn't, but he did. And you're going to hear all about it here on LMFM Radio, Bank Holiday Monday at 12 noon, when Sarah McCann presents our latest documentary, I love the name, A Fiver for a Tenor. Sarah, hello again. Hi, Derry. How are you? The name does it for me straight away. <laughs> I know it is. It's great. He was paid a fiver. So, you know, he he didn't cost too much. He was paid a fiver. Just remind us, when was it? What year? So I am sitting here, Derry, looking at the programme in front of me, which is just like a piece of not just local history, like it's international history, to be mm. honest. It was Sunday, May the 12th, 1963. And it was St. Cecilia's Gramophone Society in Dundalk presents an Italian operatic concert on the stage of the Town Hall in Dundalk. And one of the people who sang at that was Luciano Pavarotti. My word, this is a story. How did you or when did you come across this nugget? Do you know, I knew you were going to ask me that and I actually started thinking. I just read things, Jerry, and then I write a wee note about them. So I'm pretty sure a couple of years ago in the local newspaper, I think it was the Argus, um, there was a gentleman called Monsignor Peter Shields, who was a very well-known priest in Zendalk for about 60 years. That was probably 10 years ago that I read an article that he was part of founding this St. Cecilia's Gramophone Society, and he was a huge opera lover, and he was part of um, an organisation or you know, that brought Pavarotti to Zendalk. So I think I kind of just wrote it down someday, thinking I'll look into that, and then, you know, yourself, you're coming up with ideas for new, new documentaries. And I remembered this one and just started digging and researching into it a little bit. But I'm pretty sure, yeah, it was a local newspaper article. That, that terrific, terrific. That. that story in itself. And look, it, 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 I don't want to give it all away, but how the hell did he come <laughs> to perform in Dundalk? What's the links? 
I know. It's just, to be honest, when you start digging, you know the way they always say the truth is stranger than fiction, but when you start digging into these things, you kind of really realise that it is. Um, he was a young singer, a young tenor in Italy, um, and he was essentially trying to make his way over there, but he was also working as a teacher. He was, you know, he's in his late 20s, um, and he was from Medina, um, a place in Italy. And um, there was a gentleman, like I said, Monsignor Peter Shields, who used to travel to Italy quite a lot. Um, and he was working alongside or he met these people from this society called the Dublin Grand Opera Society. And there was a gentleman called Bill O'Kelly. And they had funding through the Italian embassy from the 40s onwards to bring Italian tenors to Ireland to essentially perform at the Gaiety. But they, they kind of like touched base with the people in Belfast as well, who were bringing the same people over for the um, Grand Opera House operas up there too. And of course, Dundalk being slap bang on the road in the middle of Dublin and Belfast, they used to organise this St. Cecilia's Gramophone Society under this one, Senior Peter Shields. He spoke fluent Italian, so he was a great help to the people when they were over in Italy trying to source these tenors. So he used to organise to basically get these concerts to happen while these people were travelling from their opera performances in Belfast down to their opera performances in Dublin. And they were done as like charitable concerts, essentially. Um, But there was just, you know, there was so much behind the scenes to get it to happen. But it's amazing when you think that technically on the town hall stage in Dundalk, Pavarotti sung for the first time outside of Italy in what we would consider to be like a recital performance where he wasn't in an opera. He was just standing beside a piano singing some operatic songs, but it wasn't an actual opera performance. So the first time he ever did that outside of Italy was on the town hall stage in Dundalk. There you go. And he sang from La Boheme, uh, Verdi's Rigolino, Leto and uh, Puccini's Butterfly. You know, it's just an incredible, incredible story. And you have many people involved in the telling of this story. And, you know, they got to listen in. you got to listen in, folks, here. 12 noon, Bank Holiday Monday. I'll be tuned to hear this story unfold. It is truly, truly remarkable. And, of course, uh, uh, with the wind under your wings after your success at the Imros this year, well, we wait with bated breath for something else that I'm sure is going to be in the mix again next year in 12 months time but look well done to you Sarah it's terrific love the name love the concept brilliant story we can't wait 12 noon here on your station LMFM Monday yes the name is a fiver for a tenner he got a fiver for the gig and it was a half a crown in for everybody who attended Sarah well done to you because we're going to play out actually with Pavarotti today just to keep him in mind oh, brilliant. congratulations to you again well done look forward to Monday at 12 noon. Thank you so much, Sherry. Take care yourself. Bye-bye. The wonderful Sarah McCann there with another brilliant documentary on your station, LMFM Radio. Eddie's coming next with The Drive. On late lunch tomorrow, Professor Patricia Casey is with us. Fred Cook, we're going to have a laugh. Michal McKeown from Kells. Seasonal Soups. I'm back in East Coast Cougary School with Tara Walker. David Sheehan does the sport. And we've a riddle to fox you again tomorrow. Will we do it? Yes, we will. But we'll finish today with the great man. Don't forget that documentary a fiver for a tenner Monday noon here on LMFM radio let's finish out today and remind ourselves of the brilliance of Luciano Pavarotti see you tomorrow
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drada, Dundalk and Cavan. Let Blackstone Motors find the perfect car for you. With over 300 cars to choose from, we have the biggest selection of pre-owned cars in Drada, Dundalk and Cavan. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie for more details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.